G'day, and thanks for listening to the Outpost podcast. I want to give you a little update on something quite significant that's happening for us at the moment. And that is that we are entering into a season of prayer and fasting from October the 1st until the 22nd, which is the start of our church camp. And I want to emphasize the prayer part of prayer and fasting. Uh, We do want to see Jesus more clearly. We want to know what he's saying and we want to be putting it into practice. And fasting is one way that we can clear away some of the distractions, some of the things that would cause us to forget who he is and what he's done and what that means for us. We are passionately about being his uh, apprentices. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow his way and not just our own. And so entering into a season where we say no to something that we would normally focus on, and it's not a bad thing that we're saying no to, but just something that we want to uh, put aside so that we can focus more clearly on Jesus. So a couple of examples for for Christy. She started her fast on the beginning of September um, and she's been fasting from meat, from sugar, alcohol, processed carbs, coffee and some other stuff. And she'll continue that through to the camp. And and for me, being softer, I'm starting mine uh, 1st of October. And one thing I'm fasting from is Strava, uh, which for me as a keen runner can be um, an inordinate focus. And so I'm taking a break. And I just encourage you to consider how you can engage with this and what you can say no to for the purpose of saying a bigger yes to Jesus and to his way. So join with us from the 1st of October in this season of prayer and fasting. Um, You're about to hear a message from our Sunday gathering and we're focusing at the moment on Nehemiah, which does start with a fast. And we just believe that God's got a lot to say to us through this Old Testament book and Yeah, our prayer is that you would be encouraged through this and that it would lead to transformation for yourself, but also for your community. God bless you. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, May my prayer be set before you as incense, the raising of my hands as the evening offering. May my prayer be set before you as incense. That repeated line Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. It's not the only place in Scripture where prayer is likened to incense. There's an old phrase called a a God-botherer. Who's heard of someone being called a God-botherer before? A few of you. Um, So a God-botherer, the basic idea was people, Christians, who would actually bother God by continually bringing stuff before him. Um, This seems to think otherwise. Like incense certainly... As we look in the scriptures, whether or not you personally enjoy incense, um, we get the strong suspicion that God does. Um, And our prayers before him are like incense to him. So never take on any sense of bothering God as you bring things before him. It is a delight uh, for him to hear our prayers. He delights to answer us when we call. And we're going to spend a bit of time doing that. Um, So... I want us just whatever is on our hearts to pray. Um, And if you're not up for speaking out loud, uh, I invite you to push through that and speak out loud anyway. Obviously, you don't have to, but I encourage you just to have a go. And uh, let's, from where we are, 
um, just bring before him whatever is on our heart. And it could be a particular person, it could be a situation, it could be someone that you haven't met, um, you might just have a name, uh, you might have a, a nation on your heart. But I just encourage you to bring your requests before God. And we'll do this over the next couple of minutes. Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. Thank you that you are mighty to save. Thank you that the people that we've brought before you, um, as well as our very selves, are able to be rescued by you. Thank you that you are not only capable, but you are willing. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you for the way that was demonstrated on the cross in Jesus as he died in our place, died for us, paid a debt we could never pay. We celebrate that again today. We thank you that we get to be family together because of what you have done. You've called us to yourself and you call us to one another. And I pray that we would live that out better than ever before. It would be more evident in our love for one another, in our love for the people around us, our family. I pray for yeah, that, that love for our workmates, our schoolmates, the people that we interact with in different ways. Pray, Lord, that we would be simply conduits of your love for them. Work in us and through us for your glory and for our good. Hallelujah and amen. Hey, Rob, did you get up before, Rob, and, and share a testimony? You didn't? Oh. Have you had any good news this weekend? Do you want to tell us about it? That'd be awesome. So, uh, as, as a bunch of you may know, that I've uh, found myself in a season of, uh, of looking for a new job. And that's the, uh, the funnest season to ever be in. <laughs> Going through months and, and months of, uh, you know, applying for this job and that job and, you know, doing the whole process. And, you know, God had me at a, for a, a crucial season in, in the history of uh, Manor. And uh, he's moved me on from there. So, and now he's uh, finally put me in another place known as Sprout as of uh, the last few days. So, which is, yeah, exciting. Yeah, so that's the uh, inspiration of a former MasterChef contestant, Callum Han. It's uh, him and another guy called Themis. They kind of co-founded this place 11 years ago. And they started out as a, uh, a bit of a, just a cooking uh, school. They ran kind of cooking classes and had a few nutritionists and dietitians there. And now they've kind of branched out from that and they've advanced on those things. But they've got a couple of restaurants and one in the Barossa run in the city and, and they've got a, uh, they do catering and they pretty much do everything you can do in hospitality. So I'm now part of the team as their uh, kitchen assistant and yeah, so I've done a, done a function with them, done a couple of their uh, market to place cooking schools and yeah, I'm excited to be part of the team. So yeah, it's great that the Lord has finally, after yeah, many months of yeah, praying and just doing my bit, yeah, he's finally come through. So. Yeah, we'll go right to him. Let's um, commission Rob in his new role. So, Father, we want to thank you so much for Rob. 
Thank you for the gifts that you've given him. Thank you for um, bringing him through this season that has been a challenge. Thank you for the way that you've supported him and encouraged him through a whole bunch of different people as well as directly uh, just investing into his spirit. And yeah, we thank you for the provision of this job. Uh, we thank you for his first few shifts. Um, thank you for the variety. Thank you for the, the different things that really do appeal to him. Uh, even the amount of hours um, is exactly what he's looking for. And we just celebrate those details. And uh, we thank you that you are a good, good father who provides. And we pray that Rob would be an incredible blessing um, in, within Sprout. Uh, we pray that, yeah, you would work in and through him uh, and that your kingdom would be evident more so because uh, Rob is there and because of the work you're doing in and through him. And we pray that you'd bring people to yourself in Jesus' name. Hallelujah and amen. Bless you, mate. It's good news, hey. Um, there's some Bibles down here. I encourage you to open up to Nehemiah. We're looking at chapter 6. And so if you're in a physical Bible uh, and you open to the middle, you're likely to find Psalms as you open to the middle and then turn left, just a couple of books to the left of Psalms, uh, you will find Nehemiah. And uh, we've been stepping through this over the past few weeks. And um, yeah, so Nehemiah is set. Even though it occurs, even though we find it this early in the Old Testament, it really belongs at the very end of the Old Testament. So it comes um, not too long before Christ, just a, a few hundred years before uh, Jesus was born. Um, and this is during the period often known as the exile. Um, and so the Jewish people have been taken away from Jerusalem and the surrounds, um, and they are in a city called Susa, um, which was originally... Um, part of Babylon, but then it's overtaken by the Persians. Um, and then out of there, uh, this guy Nehemiah is called to come back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so this book really centers on that. Um, and last week could be summed up, what we're looking at in chapter 5, um, as don't be a bully. So we had this interesting scenario where they'd come back into the land and they're rebuilding the walls and it kind of stops for a little bit. The rebuilding the walls takes a pause because there's this issue with people who are destitute. So they're Jews who are being oppressed by other Jews um, and they don't even have enough food to eat. And so they address this issue and they're, the, the irony of being brought out of slavery to a foreign nation and then being brought back to Jerusalem only to be enslaved by their brother or sister Jews is ridiculous. Um, but that was the situation that was happening. Um, so that's Nehemiah chapter 5 um, in, a, in a nutshell. Um, it uh, could be summed up. Um, well, it, it's something that we still see today. It, it's so easy for us because of the world in which we live to be more influenced by negative stuff and bullying type behavior is one thing. Uh, we're so influenced by that that we actually act out of that more than we act out of the reality of God's love in us and through us. It's as though Jesus had said, which he definitely did not say, a new command I give you, bully one another. As the world has bullied you, so you are to bully one another. Clearly he did not say that, and I'm very grateful. 
But it is so easy for us to be so consumed and so influenced by stuff around us that we take on the patterns of this world. Um, and the goal is that we don't do that. We um, have things within our Aussie culture that do line up with the scriptures. We have some things that are embedded pretty deep um, that, are, that are good things. Um, like we don't play the victim very well in Australia. Like one of the, one of the iconic images um, is of something that most Aussies can't stand is the soccer player who's like writhing around in agony when he actually wasn't hit in that place at all but somewhere else and he's just doing it to draw a foul um, and to, you know, get that. It doesn't happen in footy very often, although it does happen and, oh, it's terrible, isn't it? I don't think it ever happens in rugby though. I've never seen a rugby player um, bang it on, but maybe it does. Um, we really value putting yourself on the line. Like having someone who's willing to actually risk for the sake of someone else. And so in footy, you know, putting your body on the line for your teammate is like the highest thing. For, you know, within a neighbourhood, you know, that person that goes running into the burning building in order to rescue the child, that's certainly not unique to Australian culture. Um, you know, running in front of a car in order to save a child, putting yourself at risk for the benefit of the innocent victim. You know, someone who desperately needs help and you're willing to actually do that. Uh, in, a, in a war sense, the soldier who's willing to dive on the grenade, smothering it at the cost of their own life and, and saving others. These, these things, like even in uh, the war memorial uh, just next to the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, you know, you get to the very top um, and then there's a grave in there and, and it says, uh, Greater love hath no man than this to lay down his life for his friend. And obviously that's taken directly from, from Scripture, from John chapter 15. And that's the reality and it's embedded in our culture. And it's a really good thing uh, that we can call up and, and call out uh, within the Australian culture. Um, but there's other things, of course, that, that don't quite line up uh, with the gospel of Jesus, that don't quite line up with, with Scripture. Um, we're not so good um, like with the whole treat other people as you want to be treated. And by the way, like that is right throughout primary schools. Um, you know, this, the golden rule, it's even called the golden rule, you know, today in 2021, you'll see it right throughout primary schools, treat others as you want to be treated. Uh, but the reality is, like we'll do that unless they're not treating us as we want to be treated. And then we just ghost them and move on with our lives. Like we are not good at responding when people don't treat us well. There's, there's theory that's not followed through at all well. Um, so for us, we want to be people who forgive. We need to be people who forgive. And one of the best ways that we can be people who forgive is to know how much we have been forgiven. Because that just lifts the whole empathy thing through the roof. We are people who have been forgiven much. Therefore, we love much. We forgive much. It's so important. We are more divided um, than I've certainly ever seen in my experience. Culturally, we're more divided, you know, poles apart from each other in many ways. And we argue and we are not good at listening to one another. We're not good at forgiving faults. But these are things that we are called to do.
Um, we're going to read from chapter 6, as I have already told you. So Nehemiah chapter 6. Okay, so we see some familiar characters. As, as we've been reading through this, we've, we've heard of these guys before. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. What a great name. Come and meet me at Sabotage Gate. <laughs> they were planning to harm me. So I sent messages to them saying, I am doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. Sanballat sent me this same message a fifth time by his aide who had an open letter in his hand. It was, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king, so come, let's confer together. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was restricted to his house. He said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. But I said, should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy, prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated. Do as he suggested, sin and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sambalat for what they have done and also the prophetess Noadiah and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. Or at least at three times the word intimidate has um, appeared. The wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month of Elul. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. And during those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, since he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Arab. And his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshullam, son of Berechiah. These nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would open this up for us. I ask that you would speak clearly. I ask that we would have ears to hear. And I pray that we would be obedient to what you say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I've already mentioned, the word intimidate appears a number of times. And so we're told really clearly not 
to bully others. But we're told here that Nehemiah stood up and he was not bullied by others. And there's an interesting one there for us, that we would not be bullies, but also that we would not be bullied. I want to take a look at something in the life of Jesus. So just some interactions that he had uh, with Herod. So this is the second Herod that we hear of in the New Testament. So originally you hear of Herod the Great, and that's around the time of Jesus' birth. Then Herod has a bunch of sons, two of them by the name of Herod, just to make it really clear who's who. Um, And one of them is often known as Herod Antipas, or also Herod the Tetrarch. Tetrarch because he had a quarter of um, the kingdom. And then you also have um, another Herod who we hear about in the book of Acts. Um, But it's the middle Herod that we're looking at today. Um, So let's get you to pop those ones up on the screen for me, please, Riley. And we can see how Jesus responded to some stuff that involved Herod. All right, so starting with Luke chapter 9, verse 7. Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed. Because some said that John had been raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. Herod wanted to see Jesus. But guess what? Look down at the next, uh, sorry, at Luke 23. We find out that Herod had never seen Jesus at that point. So Herod's the king, well, kind of the king, and he wants an audience with Jesus, but he doesn't get it. Luke 13. At that time, some Pharisees came and told him, go, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. Things have changed. He said to them, go tell that fox, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. There's a fair bit in that last statement directed at Herod, but calling him a fox for a start wasn't a compliment, just in case you're wondering. Um, That's a fairly strong dig. A fox was not a clean animal. Um, And it wasn't so much the conniving part as much as that might have been true, but he's having a bit of a a go. Um, He's not responding, he's not just giving in. So first up, Herod wanted to see him. You know, he's hoping that he'll see some spectacular sign. Um, Doesn't give it. Second time, Herod changes tact, um, but won't give in to intimidation by Herod when Herod uh, wants to harm him. And then Luke 23, when Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean. So this is at Jesus' trial. Finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, he had wanted to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer him. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing, and sent him back to Pilate. Imagine how many 
selfies Jesus would be offered every day if he was alive today. Like everyone wants to get a selfie with Jesus. Like everyone wants to hang out with Jesus. I know there's a few of us that we also have to deal with that and, you know, turn people away. I did have one experience when I was um, comparing kids camp out with like 3,000 kids back in the day um, and having kids, like my job with my co-compare Sarah was like if on a scale it was like we had to inform the kids but we had to hype the kids up. It was just so much fun. And I've never signed, probably the only time in my life I've ever signed autographs, but it was just non-stop. If I was not on the stage, kids running up and like, ah, like, yep, I'll sign it, no worries. Had my little taste of, uh, of fame. But here is Jesus who's inundated with people and not just regular people, he's got Herod. All right? Herod wants to see him, wants an audience with Jesus. And he's like, no. And then Herod wants to intimidate him. Herod is like, coming after you. He's like, whatever, go tell that fox. Um, and then finally, he's hoping again that he'll, Jesus will perform some miracle in front of him. Doesn't give him what he wants to the point that he then starts giving Jesus a hard time. You see, it's not that Jesus wasn't interruptible. Jesus was very interruptible. Like we see that throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospels, as we read accounts of Jesus, he's walking along and he's off on a really important task, like healing somebody. Someone else comes up and he's got the time to listen to them. He's got the time to heal them. He was very interruptible, but he wasn't to be intimidated and he wasn't to be distracted. He had a mission. He came to seek and save that which was lost and he wasn't going to be intimidated away from it. And he wasn't going to be won over by flattery either. So he wasn't distracted in either one of those or anything else. Not intimidated. Like I think back to my experience at high school and there was a fair bit of intimidation that went on. Like year 9 through 11, I really struggled. Um, I was known as a, as a Christian but I really battled with that and there was a real sense of shame about it for me. And then even in year 12, there was a bit of a shift that happened for me, a significant shift that happened for me, but a mate of mine was so bold in sharing his faith at Wirreander High School in Morfitt Vale. Uh, I've told you, some of you about him before, like he shaved his head completely except for a dirty cross in the back of his head from his hair. Like walked around like that for a, a while. Um, and he started a Christian group there and he just told everyone. And I was sort of in the background and like, oh, I don't know if I'm up for telling that person or that person that I'm a Christian. And there, there was intimidation. Um, but even today, like there are things that I haven't done because of intimidation. And I've grown, but I've got so much more growing to do in not being distracted, not being intimidated, not giving in to, to flattery and stuff. It's easy to be distracted by a whole host of things. And a lot of it would come down for me to being more worried about someone's opinion of me than actually genuinely worried about the person. And that exposes some stuff. More worried what they think than how they're actually going and what's best for them. And I don't want that to be the case anymore. And I find it easy to hold back my opinion 
rather than to give it. And we should definitely hold back our opinion at times. And there is wisdom in knowing when to speak and when to remain silent. But my default is silence. I've been aware of that for a long time, but just aware that I want to push um, into that more, being willing to speak up when it's unpopular. We, uh, I really haven't talked much about Nehemiah so far. I've talked mainly about Jesus. And we are going to spend a bit of time just sitting in the Scriptures in a little while. Um, and I want you to, to pair up with somebody, possibly in a group of three, um, and spend some time just sitting with this, sitting with a text from Nehemiah or a couple of other scriptures that I can suggest. Um, but let's just weigh or allow this um, some weight in our life. You know, what are the things that you've been called to do that you haven't done because of intimidation? Has anyone seen the um, fearless campaign that Flinders is doing? It's like, what would you do if you were fearless? I would study at university. That's what I would do. Um, I would self-actualize by doing this thing. And yeah, it does take courage. It can absolutely take courage to go and study. But what we're called to do is to have the kind of courage that would make us obedient to Jesus even when it's not popular, even when it's hard, even when it's costly. That's what we're called to do. How would you be obedient to Jesus' call for you to lay down your life if you were fearless? Um, I've got a couple more scriptures that I want to talk through. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. So this matter of Titus's non-circumcision arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Not even a moment. Tried to enslave us. They came to spy on our freedom. Didn't allow it. We weren't intimidated. 2 Timothy chapter 1, very well-known one. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Whoa, both of those things. Don't be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord or of someone who is an outcast in terms of society for Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. And then another very well-known one, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. 
but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah and amen. I love Nehemiah's response. I am not going to you. I am doing a great work. I'm not going to be distracted. I've got something important that needs to be done. I'm not going to be distracted by you. I want that to be true of us. We do need to know that we are vulnerable. That is an important thing to be aware of, that we are not invincible and that things can mess with us. But we also need to know that we have a mighty God. When we submit ourselves to him, he can do anything and everything through us. So we don't just try and take on every challenge that appears in our own strength. But we are willing to stand up and fight for what he calls us to fight for. If you can show that next slide, the final slide, please, Riley. So with this one, I want us to take some time to have a look at the scriptures together in a pair or in a group of three. Um, And feel free to have a look at Nehemiah chapter 6. So there's three suggested passages that you might look at in there. Um, or have a look at that Second Timothy passage I just read or the Romans 8 passage I just read. And it's a process we've done a few times here um, over the past year or so where you basically read through the passage twice out loud and it might be that you've got one dominant person who's reads through both times or maybe you take it in turns. Um, but you read it through twice, you take a bit of time to read it in your head, then you close the Bibles and you try and recount as much as you can from that passage. And we found it really rich because so often we'll read something and we're drawn to a particular part of it and that's all we really take in or all really focus. Or you read a particular passage and you're like, what was that about? And you have no idea of anything that was just read. But this, when you know that you're going to have to try and recount it all, it's not one person testing the other, by the way, it's together trying to get the details. When you know that, then you are more inclined to actually pay attention to the whole lot. Then you come back to it. You can see, look at the passage again, and then you ask, what are you saying, Lord? And then what does it look like to put that into action this coming week? So it's not just what's interesting in this passage, but what can I do something about? There's an obedience part to this. It's not just what's interesting and what would be an interesting discussion, It's like, what does obedience to Jesus look like from this passage? And then pray for one another. Um, You may have noticed that I skipped the very first question. We've done these sorts of questions pretty regularly over the last little while. And if there's something from what we've discussed here on a Sunday, or maybe you've done it in a different way, but there's been a challenge that you've set yourself recently, 
just start with an honest response to how you're going with that challenge. So reflect on that and then get into one of those passages and go from there. Are there any questions? I hope there's many and I hope you direct them to each other. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that the same Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures is right here with us right now to help us interpret, understand and apply these Scriptures to our lives. So would you speak, would we listen and would we put it into practice? In Jesus' name. Amen.